I have the privilege of sharing with you uh, this morning on this baby dedication uh, baptism Sunday. And uh, over the next several uh, weeks, kind of from here to Easter, we're looking at um, the Gospel of Luke and certain themes that emerge from that. Uh, this series that we're starting today is called Get Fit. And uh, we are looking at uh, spiritual practices that lead to health. Now, um, January is always a great time to remind people of how unhealthy, unfit, and unmotivated they are. And so we, th we know you've already been hit with all of the diet issues and all the different habits that you've got that you needed to kick. And uh, we thought we'd just give it to you in a spiritual sense as well. No. Um, how many of you have made, not only this year, but how many over your lifetime, you've made New Year's resolutions? How many? You saw, okay. How many of you made them this year? Anybody out there? The trend is not as high. Um, how many of you made them and already broke them? Anybody out there willing to admit that? Okay. Um, some studies show that's just because we picked the wrong month. Um, habits that are started in the month of August are far more likely to succeed than um, ones in January. Some people actually tie some things like fitness, trying to get healthy in January. There is some sense that even humans have a hibernation of sorts, that we sleep more, we need to eat more, we need to rest more. All of that happens in January in the winter months, but if we made it through spring and summer and we're heading into the fall, that would be a much better time for us to start some of those healthy habits. But how, so how many of you know uh, you're supposed to eat healthy foods? How many of you know that? Again, let's see the trend. How many of you do that? Okay, different numbers there. Uh, okay, how many of you know you're supposed to get, you know, exercise, be healthy, that kind of, how many know that? And how many of you do that? Okay, some of, how many of you try? <laughs> okay, well, we might hit on some of those themes uh, this morning, but this series, Get Fit, is looking at some of the practices that we can have as followers of Jesus that help us, that we need to continue to do um, to help keep us fit in a spiritual sense, which may in some ways actually influence our ability to actually make good and healthy choices about food, about exercise, about money and relationships. So we're going to look at that uh, this morning. But first, a few just housekeeping things I want to remind you about. In your bulletin, if you grab one on the way in, if you didn't grab one on your way in, grab one on your way out. There are two things in there I want to bring your attention to. Answers to prayer forms. We've been praying over this uh, last little while at Hillcrest. Uh, this last week, um, we spent some time in prayer for a number of different things. And perhaps over the course of even this year, if there are certain highlights where you asked God for something and he answered you in some way, um, you can take a look at that form, fill it out. We would love to hear um, from you what's been happening in your lives, how God has been answering those things. The other thing you'll find in your bulletin is hearing God registration forms. Uh, that's a six-week um, course that we run here at the church. Uh, it's happening on Monday and Thursday evenings, and um, it is, again, about just 
being able to tune your mind and heart into what the Lord might be saying to you, what God is saying to you through um, the Bible or other uh, things you might, other circumstances you might find in, how he speaks to us and learning that practice. If that's something you're wanting to grow in, if certainly if you haven't been to our Hearing God seminar, I would encourage you um, to make that a part of the next six weeks um, in that journey. So there's two things. Also today, after the service, we're having what we call our family feast. There's gonna be food and we would love all of you to stay and uh, come and uh, you can celebrate what God has done maybe this last week or celebrate what God has been doing in your lives over this last year or maybe you just want the chance to connect with somebody that you don't know very well and you'd like to get to know them um, better. We would love for you to stay and just be a part of uh, our community and celebration. So please stay after um, the service. I'll also say while that's happening and over the next few weeks, uh, Joe's Place is gonna be here with Youthquake sponsorships. Now, Youthquake is an event that happens out at um, uh, Briarcrest College and uh, Joe's Place takes like up to 75 youth uh, every time and uh, many of them need sponsorships. They need help getting there financially. And so uh, Joe's Place is inviting you um, to adopt a young person who's maybe gonna head to this event and, uh, and do two things. Uh, one is to p- help pay, sponsor them, make the funds available so that they can go there. Uh, the other thing is to pray for them. So pay and to pray. Uh, when you pray for them, it makes a big deal uh, in terms of their whole processing of getting to the event while they're there and what's happening. Um, for many of them, this will be the first time that they've really um, heard the gospel presented to them. Um, for other um, Joe's Place uh, youth who go, it might be a chance where it's really solidified in terms of what they've already had, other experiences that they had. It can be very, very meaningful. Uh, to the students who go and uh, to Joe's place. So they're gonna be here again, catch them after, they'll be hanging around. Uh, And also over the next several weeks, um, if you uh, are able uh, to pay and to pray to sponsor uh, uh, Joe's place uh, uh, youth to go, that would be uh, fantastic. Also just after the family feast, if you're able to um, stay around afterwards and help clean it up, that would be a huge help. Um, So I appreciate that. Anyways, let's continue on. Uh, into our message. So New Year's resolutions, those are tough. We're looking at um, get fit. And uh, this week, um, we're looking at the practice, the habit, the exercise of repentance. And uh, we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter three, uh, verse one through 18. Um, so let's, uh, let's dive in. And because we are gonna be in Luke for the next little while, Um, we'd invite you to read along with us. Uh, If you have a pattern of um, doing devotions or reading your Bible daily, weekly, um, you know, as you're able to, we'd invite you to read the book of Luke and to study along with us. The way that I do that is with the YouVersion Bible app available for all kinds of devices. Um, It's right there on my phone uh, or iPad, that kind of thing. And there's actually a plan you can sign up for for the book of Luke and it'll track your progress. You'll remember where you read and where you didn't read and, and it'll kind of keep some goals for you. It can give you regular reminders. You can highlight, you can comment. Anyways, that's the way that I do it, but the way uh, that you do it might be different, but we just invite you to be along in the book of Luke with us. Let's read. Um, This is starting in Luke chapter three, and it should be here for you on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible in front of you. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, 
Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Etruria, and uh, Trachonitis, uh, and Lysianus, Tetrarch of Albine, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways made smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not bear fruit, bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share the one he has with one who does not, um, one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and we're all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire and with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. The word of God, uh, God came to John in the wilderness. Uh, just a couple quick comments and we'll move on, but hearing God is sometimes easier in a wilderness. Just physically speaking, if you remove yourself from kind of all the regular busyness and distractions of life, you'd be surprised that you might actually hear God's voice more easily. So perhaps you need some wilderness in your life. Maybe that's a takeaway from this morning. You can schedule wilderness on your calendar. Also, wilderness as a metaphor for our lives, perhaps for a desperate time. Some of you might be in a desperate time. His voice is often more clear to us uh, when we are in desperate situations. Those times are pivotal moments when you can either lean into or away from him. How did John prepare the way? How was this making it smooth and easy for people to receive or to hear or understand God's salvation? The people went to find John in the wilderness. They had to leave what they knew about God and their traditions to find John out in the wilderness. Remember, these are the Israelites. These are the people who believe they were the people of God. They had their temple at this time and their priests, but still people were leaving to find something more. They had come to terms with their emptiness, 
and they had to admit that their way, way of life was not producing in them happiness and fulfillment in the way that they truly wanted to experience. And also John was preaching this baptism of repentance. So first point maybe is they had to admit their emptiness and perhaps that religion didn't fulfill all that they were hoping for. Um, and a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which is different perhaps than the temple system where there was a sacrifice made or sacrifices made for the forgiveness of sins, but instead repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So first off, looking at baptism of repentance, what does that mean? Well, first, what is baptism? Baptism is a, a ceremonial washing. It is getting wet and then it meaning something more than I'm now washed with water. We're gonna celebrate baptism later. We've got water right here, so you can look at this and be reminded again. A symbol, a ceremonial washing. In the, in the Christian tradition, um, this is the religious rite of either sprinkling water, pouring water, or um, by immersing somebody into water, symbolizing purification and regeneration. So if that's what baptism is, ceremonial washing of some kind, then what is repentance? And this is where we'll perhaps spend most of our time this morning. This word is somewhat limited, I think, in some of our minds, to mean sorry. Perhaps you've seen someone who was uh, in regret, expressing sorrow over actions that they had maybe done, behaviors they had, and as they were kind of going through perhaps an apology, saying sorry, you might say of them, they were quite repentant. But I hope to bring clarification to this. Repentance is not sorrow. It may involve sorrow, but it is not the same as sorrow. As in repentance is not to be sorry or say sorry. Have you ever heard somebody say they were sorry before they did something? <laughs> you you kind of see this in movies and television, you know, sorry, for what? This, you know, and then something happens kind of like in that order. You know, it's not quite right. <laughs> um, I remember uh, years ago, I was driving around for a youth event of some kind. It was a couple of junior highs in my backseat of my car, and one of them just wound up and punched his friend right in the head. And then said, just kidding. <laughs> As if that somehow undid what he had done. Repentance is also not apology. Apology is giving the reasons for your actions or your behaviors, which may not express sorrow. If my son, Archer, walked over to my daughter, Langley, and kicked her, and I said, go and apologize to your sister, he could walk over to her and say, Langley, you were sitting in my spot, and I didn't like it, so I kicked you. And that would be an apology. Though it doesn't communicate any sorrow or regret or any indication that that kind of behavior won't continue. Repentance is a change of mind, 
heart, purpose, and will. Now, there's a number of words that translate into our English Bibles uh, as kind of repentance. And without spending too much time on word study, ultimately, that is what repentance is, a change of mind, of heart, of purpose and will. It is a life change. It is turning all of your focus and attention away from everything else and placing your attention and focus and desire on God himself. Um, Matthew 6, verse 33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It is a change of focus, a change that um, affects everything else. There is action to it, not just understanding new information acquired. It may have those elements we talked about, sorrow or apology, but also commitment to change attitudes and behaviors. There is a necessary doing that comes with repentance. Now, at our Set Free Retreat that we've been running for the last few years, uh, we invite people to um, practice confession. But every once in a while, confession drifts into apology, giving the reasons for all of perhaps the behaviors, the sinfulness that you've had. Other people drift into sorrow as they consider their sin about to confess. They become overwhelmed with emotion and both can stall out in that moment and not move further into repentance. Repentance is really about getting to the action steps that will lead to avoiding sin altogether. Confession is a great first step, but it is not the only step. So before moving too much further, let's reflect on the implications of perhaps getting stuck in sorrow or getting stuck in apology or having tendencies towards those things rather than a tendency to move through those things onto real life change. Um, So how many of you know the light bulb joke where you, again, a variety of ones where you could ask how many, you know, people... Um, does it take to change a, a light bulb and various funny answers, right? So this is how many people stuck in sorrow does it take to change a light bulb? Unfortunately, they just sit in the dark and blame themselves for the light going out and the light bulb never gets changed. Uh, sometimes people who are stuck in sorrow for their sins are even happy to see other people experiencing forgiveness and reconciliation, but they don't actually believe they themselves can be forgiven. They are overwhelmed by their sinfulness or the consequences of their actions, and it gives them a feeling of paralysis. They're paralyzed, they're stuck. They can't get past the deep feelings of regret, and they may even sabotage themselves into returning to the sin that brought about the feeling of sorrow as a way of punishing themselves, and they get stuck. What are the implications um, if you get stuck in apology or a tendency towards apology? It may show up like excuses. People who get stuck at an apology are constantly making excuses, giving the reasons why. Have you ever met met a person who viewed themselves as the victim of every situation they found themselves in life? They're always very keenly aware 
of perhaps why they're in debt, why they're unhealthy. Maybe they're always blaming their parents or siblings, their teachers or classmates for the circumstances they find themselves in. Maybe they even blame their own personality. I'm not smart enough. I'm just a person who's easy to anger. I'm just, you know, any number of things. Maybe they've tried before. They haven't found success. And so they settle into their sins, faults, and circumstances as if they are powerless to do anything about it. Someone stuck in apology might feel great sorrow, but they accept that change isn't possible. So if you ask them, they'll give you very honest, real reasons as to why they are where they are at. Now, John's sermon here is different than many sermons I've heard. I have not been to a sermon where uh, the preacher stepped onto the stage, addressed the crowd, and said, you snakes. Again, snakes, in a biblical context, is not a good association, right? The first time that the devil appears, he's a snake. You don't want to be associated with that guy. So starting a sermon with you snakes, uh, I I can't, and they came a long way to hear this sermon too. Um, you snakes. And then he, who warns you to flee? He's poking at, why did you come here, really? And, and getting to the point that they had to admit their emptiness, their neediness, that they needed something more. And so, um, I, I won't call you snakes this morning. Um, but these people are wondering as he's telling them you know, as he's warning them, as he says, you know, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, they ask this question, verse 10. What shall we do then? The crowd asked. Now, as you read through the Gospels, as you read through the book of Acts, almost any time it references the crowd, uh, it's not good. Because somehow, though many people in the crowd are brilliant and wonderful people, somehow a crowd becomes dumber, do you know what I mean? They are easily swayed, they do the wrong things, a crowd is often in a bad position. But here we have a situation where the crowd is asking the right question, (laughs) what shall we do then? So with a change of mind, of heart, purpose, and will, there needs to be an action plan. And so... John himself walks through some application for these people, and very specific to different people. You know, resources can often be unbalanced, and John invites everyone to play a part in balancing them. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. And the tax collectors asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required. The soldiers, what should we do? Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. There are action steps for each of us. Are we capable of change? Again, earlier on I asked you how many know you're supposed to eat healthy? How many of you know you're supposed to get good exercise? How many know you're supposed to um, earn more than you spend? How many of you believe you are capable of change. So you might be sitting there asking that same question, what should I do? But then also you have this sinking feeling that you might not be capable 
of changing. You might not be interested in what it really will take. There is hope for us all. John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of who I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, If you still have your Bible handy, I'm going to move to Acts chapter 19 and read some there about another experience later on with Paul um, as he's traveling to Corinth. This is Acts chapter 19, um, verse 1. While Apollos was uh, at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Um, some have expressed, I heard this often around church when I was growing up, what is repentance? Um, they talked about it as turning from sin towards God, as if it was navigation, as if it had to do with degrees, right? And I like, it's an action word, to turn, which is, I think, what is required For many of us, it is like we are perhaps sitting in a car, we've taken hold of the steering wheel, and we've cranked it in the right direction, away from sin towards God, but we haven't pressed the gas pedal. We haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to really bring his power in our lives. Repentance needs to be supernaturally powered. Uh, So where are we? We must admit our neediness, like those Israelites who left the temple worship and sacrifices and found John in the wilderness. Realize that we can't save ourselves through tradition, association, religion, family, and leave to go to the wilderness to find John. We need to come to grips with our sinfulness. This is maybe sorrow. Come to grips with our sinfulness, not ignoring it, washing over it, not really truly understanding the cost but clearly see how broken we are, but without getting stuck in sorrow or just getting caught justifying ourselves with apology, giving the reasons for why we're where we're at. We must repent, change our mind, heart, purpose, and will, and invite the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to make incremental but powerful changes. As we renew our minds with the truth of Scripture, As we do the things that love does until we feel the things that love feels. As we begin to read the word of God and discover his plans and purposes for our lives. As we embrace the calling he has for each one of us. As we walk with him, we will begin to experience his will. As we walk in his will, we will see the kingdom of heaven come on earth. John said in Luke uh, 3, verse 8, produce fruit 
in keeping with repentance. We continue in it like exercise. We must continue. It's not once it happened and now it's done, but we continue. Again, course correction, changing our mind, heart, purpose, and will all the time, navigation constantly. Like driving down a straight highway and keeping your hand moving all the time. If you just hang on and don't <laughs> move, you'll wander one way or the other and it won't work out well for you. The ongoing work of repentance produces fruit and the kingdom of God grows out of that fruit. One final caution, and then we're gonna actually move into celebrating baptism. One final caution. Repentance requires action. It requires an action plan, but creating an action plan is very dangerous. We may find ourselves creating policies and procedures, rules and regulations for ourselves that are, aren't ultimately inspired, empowered by the Holy Spirit. This ends up sending, uh, and then ultimately we project this onto other people. Um, repentance needs to be led and powered by the Holy Spirit, which is why something like the Hearing God Seminar is so important for us, because we get to tune in regularly with what he's saying, how he's leading, and we can respond to the way he uh, is speaking to us. Hearing God is all about listening to him as he convicts us about sin and leading us into that next step of obedience. So, our challenge this morning is that to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, um, continue on in having that change of mind, be renewed in the word uh, of your heart, of showing love and compassion and growing in that. Um, I heard one person say, um, before you will reap an in, uh, or interest on um, a relationship or contribution, uh, serving in a church or something like that, before you'll have interest in it, you might need to invest first, and put in the time and the energy. And we walk this fine balance between duty and desire where we invite the Holy Spirit to change us and where we are obedient to the truths we know are true in scripture. Anyways, let me pray for you and I'm gonna invite Pastor Steve to come up and we're gonna move into uh, baptism. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we don't have to be stuck in sorrow. We don't have to be um, stuck giving excuses for um, our lives and how broken perhaps we are or have been. But Father, thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit, the Jesus you baptized us in the Holy Spirit and in fire and that you will walk with us and that we have the power to change in you. And Father, help us to have that change happen inside out as we listen to your voice so that as you speak to us, it would lead to the right kinds of actions and behaviors, the right kind of plans, the right kind of guardrails set in our lives, the right kind of relationships. Father, we ask that you would speak into our hearts. You would give us the power and strength that we need to make those changes. And when we are left with what shall we do, we will hear your voice as clear as those people heard John giving instruction about what to do. That we'd hear your voice, we'd have the courage to be obedient to what you invite us to. 
your name we pray. Amen.